There is no error with your audio outputs. Do not attempt to fix any sound issues. We are monitoring you with this device. We control your options and settings. We are transmitting through your internet connection, but our signal is actually entering your mind, sending electrical impulses into the very tissues of your brain. Try to stay calm. We've taken over your senses for the duration of this broadcast. You are helpless to resist. We have taken control for your own sake. There are things you must know. This is Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. And welcome to another thrilling podcast of the Paranoia Podcast. I am Olaf Phillips. I am the publisher of Paranoia. Ron? Hey, I'm Ron Patton. I happen to be the editor-in-chief of Paranoia Magazine since 2015. Yes, you have, Ron. Hey, Ron, do I have an echo? No. No? I hear no echo on my end. Okie dokie. It's all pristine. Yeah, it should be pristine. I'm doing it inside the house this time instead of sitting in my yeah. backyard. That's good. We don't want any of those critters making noises in the background. No, no, no. We have to up our game, you know. We have to make it a quasi-professional uh, podcast. Uh, none of this amateur hour crap. Well, it can still be amateur hour, but it still has to have good audio quality to be on the fringe <laughs> fm that's uh-huh. the fringe.fm folks <coughs> i'll have to leave that in <laughs> all right so uh tonight we do not have a guest um we have a call-in number that you can use if you're listening that's uh, 503-583-8834. We're going to give this a try and uh, see if we can take phone calls. Yeah, that'd be nice. Pretty yeah, I shame. think it would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that being said, if you're listening, if anybody's actually listening, please feel free. That phone number, 503-583-8834, is also the Paranoia Hotline. So if you'd like to leave us a voicemail or tell us what you're doing or what we should be looking at, uh, you can reach us at 503-583-8834. a very interesting number. Actually. Is it now? Well, what? yeah, because it's a, a Portland area code. It is a Portland area code. That is true. I can make a phone number anywhere, so I thought Portland, why not? Yeah, well, I appreciate that since uh, I reside, uh, you know, just south of Portland. And, uh, yeah, I'm uh, Portland. I'm, I'm actually Paranoia Northwest, right? Yes, and I'm Paranoia California. Someday, maybe... I'll retire at 85 and be able to move up there. But Dude, not yet. you said you are going to retire like in a couple of years. Or no, no, no. No, 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 no. I'm going to retire at 85 and 
<sighs> Live in the forest with a bunker. What? What is your definition of retiring? Uh, working for a living. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I thought I was going to retire actually a few years ago, but it just you know didn't work out. You know, sometimes it doesn't. But you know, I have this dream. I really do. That someday I'm gonna have like five thousand acres, and uh, I'm gonna have a huge bunker with a hundred foot radio tower. Hmm. Hey, guys, gotta have dreams. Yeah. So it wasn't a nightmare or some sort of prophetic, uh, sort of uh, lucid dream that you had of the future. You know, at one point I, I thought I might be able to pull it off sooner, but no, no. I'm thinking like the rest of us, it'll be 85. Wow. <laughs> That's harsh reality. It is. It's a hard... Well, you know, it, it came out of... I, I bought land up there, and, and I had this dream, and I was like, you know what? I own land up there. I'm going to retire on it, and it's going to be awesome. And then I read the building codes. Mm -hmm. And that dream ended. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense <coughs> to understand. Yeah, but, you know, it's all good. So, yeah, if anybody wants to actually call in, we're here. Um, I think the first thing that I want to talk about, um, unless anybody wants to call in, is the whole disclosure thing on Tucker Carlson. Oh, yeah, that's right. Didn't he talk about uh, Donald Trump's sort of uh, soft disclosure about UFOs? Well, that, that was the rumor, that there was going to be some sort of soft disclosure, and uh, good old Donnie was going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, aliens are real. I've been briefed. Uh-huh. You know, and it was making the circuit and uh, doesn't seem to have happened. Huh. But, you well, know... I, mean, I, I really huh? didn't think so. No. Uh, um, I think, honestly, Trump was just kind of giving lip service, just trying to appease the masses and, you know, their curiosity for UFOs. But, as usual, I just believe the, the media, as well as the uh, Trump administration, is just, uh, you know using a form of smoke and mirrors to just uh, sort of make the people curious, make them, you know, like, wow, this is actually going to happen. But uh, I, I don't think anything's going to come of it, actually. You know, I've always, I've like. always maintained that um, disclosure will never happen, that it fundamentally cannot happen. Right. Because in order for uh, disclosure to happen... You know, people would have to come clean about things that they've been covering up for, I don't know, 70 years or more. Mm -hmm. And they would have to cop to a whole lot of bad stuff. And I just don't think it's going to happen. Right. And um, you and I know a lot of people like who've been in military intel yeah. sort of from the inside. And they, they kind of scoff at that idea as well. And so, you know, I kind of listen to the people who are really in the know. Right. that aren't out there putting out disinformation, but have a high level of skepticism when it comes to that. I just think we're, we're just naturally uh, hopeful for these kind of uh, revelations. 
you know, because we so desperately, you know, want to know that there's something other than than ourselves out there, which uh, I believe there is. But yeah. again, it's just uh, just because we've been building up the military industrial complex for quite a long time, it, it they had to sort of muddy the water when it comes to the, a lot of the uh, so-called alien technology and our own technology and the actual existence of ETs. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, back in the day, they test, they did a kind of trial balloon test thing on that with the Brookings report, and the Brookings study said that there would be a societal breakdown across the board, economic, socio, cultural, etc. But, um, yeah, I just, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, and, and most religions, of course, yeah. it really go against the grain, especially the Abrahamic religions. Uh, you know, although they elude uh, like something being out there, it just doesn't really fit in with their old dispensational slant. That's true. That's so, true. Yeah. so yeah, that's in the news. Uh, just seems like uh, a lot of asteroid type stuff going on as well. What's your take on that? You know, that's the, that really has me bothered the the asteroid stuff you know i watched a a good um document well it was like a speech ted talk kind of thing with uh neil degrasse tyson and he was talking about apophis and he was explaining that if apophis hits this thing called the keyhole it's like a three kilometer chunk of space right. where it hits the keyhole will determine where it's going to strike the earth i think like 15 years later and uh, and somebody asked him an inane question like, you know, do you think this might actually happen? And, and he said, well, you know, they call the asteroid Apophis. They don't call it Bambi. Right. And uh, th that was kind of bad. And he was explaining the what would actually happen, that it would it would basically create this huge hole in the ocean and the water would rush in. That would result in a cavitation and this massive, like, two-mile-high wall of water would go speeding at near, near supersonic speed until it hits the West Coast. And he basically said it would sandblast the West Coast. Oh, yeah. So, like, I'm in Portland and uh, forget about it, right? No, I don't think Portland would be damaged. I mean, you'd have really super bad flooding. Yeah, well, I'm not, like, right on the coast. I'm some. talking, like, Malibu. Okay, gotcha. Okay, I feel better. <laughs> I, mean, I don't care about Malibu. Yeah. yeah, I don't care about Malibu either. I never really liked Malibu. But the people who live there like it, and if that asteroid hits, yeah, boom. I know, I, I shouldn't be so selfish, you know, so cold-hearted. No, you uh, shouldn't. Be. We, yeah, at the same time, you know, there's a lot of snooty people down there. So there is. There's no well, snooty people in the Pacific Northwest, right, Ron? Oh, <laughs> uh, we're we're all like harmonic and bohemian <laughs> and all in tune with ourselves. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> yeah. No, so I we mean got, we we got these asteroids, right? Yeah. And. uh I think there was uh, some sort of uh, news report last week where uh, some scientists are saying, 
Oh well, it, it's not an alien aircraft like Avi Loeb, you know, purports. But you know, it's definitely uh, some sort of, uh, you know, anomalous, um, anomalous rock, you know. But I mean, how can they ascertain whether it is or not? That's what gets me. Have they what? done any actual studies on it? Have they been there? Have they taken samples? No. No. So you're talking about whether it's a rock or not. Yeah, but uh, um, you know, Avi Loeb actually thinks there it's a high degree that it might be something else, like some sort of ancient alien uh, spacecraft. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that last one that came through had a pretty good chance of being that. Uh huh. You know, it made course corrections and a lot of things that it shouldn't have done. Right. But, you know, we're very dismissive in, in science. They say, well, it doesn't fit our model, so it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting beeps. You know, i got to figure that part out. Yeah, because those actually might be some phone calls coming in, and you're missing them. <laughs> no, it was somebody saying, it's John Haynes saying, uh, right on, I may call in. <laughs> well, tell people it's like mandatory. If they listen, you got to call in, okay? That's just okay. how it should be. It well, is. Are you listening? Call in. We want to oh, hear from you. Call in. We're bored. Come on, man. Make it fun. We, we want to test this new system out because we've never received phone calls before. No. On what episode is this anyway? It's like 39 or something like that. No, no, it's like, let me look. More clicking yeah. sounds. Hold on. Okay. I have to look. Wait. I don't. Yeah, I don't we're, we're getting momentum. Yeah. Hey, I, I noticed that uh, on one of our podcasts with Natalie Meraki, it was like close to 2,000 listens, man. That was pretty damn good for us. Well, you know, the the real crazy one is um, C- Celeste. Uh, she did the oh. uh, Mysterious Death. It's like yeah. 8,000. Wow, that yeah. is. That is. It is episode 39. See, I told you. Woohoo! Yeah. It's just that we've been doing it for a long time, and, you know, we took some breaks periodically, but... I think uh, now that we're on the Fringe FM. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we have to do it on a regular basis. And I'm, I'm still going to get us on Free Radio Olympia. They were kind of down again, but they're back up. So we're going to start getting on uh, some pirate radio, which we, which we, yeah, we got to get, get our feel of pirate booty. So. Uh, yeah, that's going to start happening again. And then you, it's just going to spread like wildfire. You know what I really want? I want to find somebody with one of those boats that has the transmitter on the boat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they sit offshore just beyond the limit. That's what I want to yeah. find. I want to talk to my friend Garen Franson about that because he has connections. He knows people. He was actually going to. That's how I first met him. Yeah. Actually, like in 1990 or 91, I talked to him on the phone about uh, he wanted to buy like a ship. Yeah. And then put it out in the ocean and and do like shortwave radio broadcasts yeah. of you know, different types of shows. And so I was like, wow, man. 
Yeah, there there used to be uh, ships that did that stuff, but they haven't existed for a while. Yeah. Might be time for a new one. Yeah, well, it's just like that. Uh, there's actually a movie called Pirate Radio. Yes. And they were doing that stuff. But, but I mean, I, I'm fascinated with that. That'd be fun. Me too. And, you know, I think the the other thing that, as conspiracy people, you know, we should really be exploring is shortwave. I really believe that shortwave, if properly done, you know, is really the conspiracy nuts, you know, broadcast medium of choice. Yeah. Because yeah, cause the problem with the internet is, well, it's free and I spend 15 minutes and set up a server so you all can listen to us do this. Mm -hmm. um, the reality is, is that, you know, for some people, the server will work better than others because of its geographic location but right. with shortwave you just get it or you don't mm -hmm. you know right and i you know we used to actually broadcast uh the podcast for about a year uh we broadcast it on a shortwave station out of germany mm -hmm. and um we got like uh call-in reports like people who heard the show from all over europe and russia you know, into the Middle East, down into Africa. It was crazy. Wow. Yeah. Well, so maybe we can do that again if it's, uh, you know, cost efficient. We'll just have to see. It's not that bad uh, cost-wise, but yeah, we probably need to do a fundraiser. I think that'd be great. I'm really into that. Utilizing multimedia to its fullest. Yeah, and also um, my friend Drew, who may or may not be listening to this live, uh, he just got a semi, and uh, he wants a, like a banner to put on the side of it. So as he's driving the, driving up and down and all around, he's going to uh, advertise paranoia. So I'm going to make okay. him a shirt that and a hat, and this shirt will say "Truckers for Paranoia." Yeah. 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 For sure. I, yeah. There's a lot of uh, crazy fans out there too. Yeah, I'm really surprised how many people actually like the Paranoia podcast. <laughs> you know, every time I look and it's like seven, eight, nine hundred, I'm like, wow. Yeah. 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 Just listening to us. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so I got I got some more things I want to talk about okay. regarding current events and what's going on. And, you know, I'm not a doom and gloom kind of guy. Break it down, you, Ron. But, you know, there's a lot of shit going on. There is. When I say shit, I'm talking not just manure, right? You're talking real shit, Ron. I'm not talking about feces. I'm talking about things like uh, earthquakes, for instance. And it just seems like there's a hell of a lot more earthquakes as of late than before. And I'm not trying to be like Hal Lindsey and, like, predict the end of the world here i'm just saying there's a lot of stuff going on and so being that you're in california right now did you get uh, some shaking going on in your neck of the woods no i'm way oh no i'm way uh way south of that oh. i mean i'm way north of that that's way 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 south of me okay. but i i know people up here who said they felt it yeah. Yeah. But you know what's interesting is that I, I live outside of San Francisco. And uh -huh. um, in 89, when we had the uh, Loma Prieta quake, that was only a 6.9. Yeah. 
And like Northridge was a 6.4. This was a 7.1 at one kilometer. So it was extremely Mm -hmm. shallow. So the energy was distributed on the surface super strong. Right. And it's near China Lake. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I know. China Lake. Uh, Very interesting place. It is. It's a very interesting place. It's almost on par with uh, Area 51, according to quite a few people. I know they've been doing, like, top secret stuff there for a number of years. Well, uh, well, now I'm kicking myself because we had Richard Allen Miller on, and I asked him about the weather machine, but I didn't ask him about the earthquake machine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he would have known. Oh, I 100% certain he would have known. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys where you can pretty much tell him, ask him anything, and he'll go, oh, well, uh, yeah, I was involved in that back in 1983 in you know, Calcutta, India. Me and it's Timothy true. Leary. No. Yeah, me, me and Timothy Leary were I think he's the real deal, though. I think yeah. he was... Know, involved in a lot of different things because he's a really smart guy and mm-hmm. you know um, he was able to sort of tap in to the uh, the psychic realm too well he has a niche right he's a troubleshooter you know yeah. people who are troubleshooters are rare so you know they brought him in for the weirdest of the weird and said hey hey Richard go figure it out right and I, I think that, you know, that's really his, cl- his claim to fame. Yep. But, I mean, if you're dropping acid with Timothy Leary, uh, that's a story. Yeah. Yeah. That is. So, um, some other things that are kind of going on. I, I noticed there was a uh, YouTube video of this guy named uh, Cliff High. Oh, Cliff High, yes. Yeah, he's, he's pretty interesting. I mean, he can be an asshole sometimes, but at the, he yes. has, has some pretty good, interesting concepts. Well, why don't you tell the listeners who Cliff High is before you tell them what happened to him? Well, I I know that he was involved in, uh, like, algorithms and, and looking at sequences of different things. I, I don't really uh, know in great detail what he puts out there but uh you know he has a pretty big following he's a researcher when it comes to uh sort of uh computer type stuff Mm -hmm. but uh he lives up here in the northwest and he tried to go to Isetti ranch and they said uh no you can't come and he asked why and they said because of your belief system. Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> it's like what? I know. Oh man, and I mean that just really went viral. Uh, and, you know, he admitted that he is skeptical about a lot of things, but at the same time, he wants to, you know, feel that woo-woo. He wants to be a part of it. He wants to. Sure. Uh, he wants to see things that are anomalous, you know, so yeah. he doesn't think that it, it's all garbage, right? That it's mm. all made up. But I think obviously there was some conflict there because of, uh, you know, James Gilliland's 
sort of stance on uh, QAnon, as well as Jordan Sather. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get into any type of mudslinging per se, but it just seems like there is just a lot of division everywhere now. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we're, we're not even going to Iseti Ranch this year. We don't understand why. We weren't invited, so sort of puts a, a damper on things with uh, the Ground Zero crew and us. So, what? you know, I, I just wonder, you know, like, what's going on with the SETI Ranch? And how come they didn't, you know, respond to our request of, you know, wanting to go there? But it just seems like they've been really cutting out a lot of people that yeah. just sort of aren't in line with their way of thinking, which is a shame, you know, because... I, I've had a real appreciation for Isetti mm -hmm. Ranch and had a good relationship for the most part with uh, you know James Gill Lynn and stuff and sure with staff and uh, that's something we, we look forward to going to each year and again I'm not trying to badmouth them or anything but it just seems like uh, I just think people are just so caught up into politics now and uh to say that you can't come because of your belief system. Yeah, that's not yeah. right. Yeah, something's amiss, and it's just, it's a shame. So I'll just leave it at that. But uh, So that's why we got to try to find a, a different place to go to this year. I have one. Where? So I was uh, doing a documentary on the Sonora Aero Club uh, with some guys, and... We were in a uh, cemetery in, in Columbia uh, looking for people who had been in the Aero Club. And we actually think we found one, um, which is weird because his grave was like completely covered with rosemary, like a rosemary bush. So I'm still trying to get my head around that. But um, he, while I was there... Uh, it was a pretty long day, so I was pretty tired, and I was sitting, um, like, on a little sitting area, and this guy pulls up, and uh, I have no idea who he is. He shows up, and he just starts talking to me. I don't think he entirely had any idea who I was. He just started talking to me, and, um, you know, we talked about a variety of other things, clampers and and UFOs and whatever and conspiracy stuff and he said you know there's this spot up by a place called strawberry and if you go up there during the summer on saturdays you'll see weird stuff and i was like i'm gonna go so the next week um i booked a room there's only two places to stay in strawberry so i booked a room on airbnb and i went and uh friday night i saw nothing well, I took right. that back. I saw a bunch of shooting stars, which is always pretty, but I saw nothing. On Saturday, um, I saw some weird stuff. Now, it wasn't as consistent or as weird as uh, E-SETI, but it was weird nonetheless. So, fast forward to last night. So last night I'm really bored and I decided to watch uh, Amazon Prime. And when I was watching Amazon Prime, uh, there was a missing 411 Hunters. It's a David Paulides, Paulides uh, documentary about a bunch of hunters that 
fit his profile that had vanished in various states in various national parks. So I'm watching. And it's very good. Anybody who um, is interested in that stuff, you should definitely watch it. But anyway, <clears throat> so I'm watching it. And lo and behold, he starts talking about this place uh, north of Sonora. And he's got uh, B-roll footage of Sonora. He's got B-roll footage. It was about 40 feet from where I stayed. Um, and he's talking about this lookout where people have vanished. Um, that was about 17 miles from where I was at. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out that the place that he had some secret camp that he had found out about where they they see a lot of Bigfoots and they have like anomalous stuff happens. Um, and that place, I think, was about 11 miles from where I was doing the Skywatch. And I will mm -hmm. tell you, I saw weird stuff. Yeah. And the weird stuff I saw was consistent with what I was told. And mm -hmm. um, it was consistent with what these hunters claimed to have seen. But I saw it at higher altitude, where right. they actually saw like l lights moving through their camp. I saw stuff above ridge lines and above the trees and whatever. So right. it's very active. So could have could they have been orbs or something like that? You know, um, they said some of them were orbs. Um, I don't know. They they sounded some of them sounded awful ufological to me. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they they definitely saw orbs. One guy, um, he described what he said looked like a uh, a lightsaber, like move mm -hmm. through the camp. It's crazy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You yeah, gotta that, watch that it. That was uh, similar. I saw something like that on TV too. Yeah, I you gotta watch it. But yeah, I thought to myself, oh crap, I was. 11 miles from there uh -huh. in in the forest on the side of a hill by myself amongst boulders mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm thinking hmm I shouldn't go by myself anymore yeah you always see the trippy stuff I, I rarely see anything well, I, I, I think I got it on video but I haven't been able to go through all the video yet I mean, I have seven hours of video. That would be interesting. But yeah, yeah. we need to go to some place that's relatively close to Portland. So, yeah, that, that's Clyde's deal. We can't go too far. He doesn't want to well, go. I believe yeah. that given the trajectory of the stuff that I saw at each city, um, yeah. I believe that you should be able to see the same stuff at a Pyramid Lake, which is just outside of Reno. Yeah, but that's way too far down, man. Well, you uh, can fly into Reno. <laughs> yeah, but I'm talking about, like, a lot of the uh, local, you know, Ground Zero guests that live around this area. Well, you, know, you, they, they... you just, you know, Trout Lake's not a big place, but, I mean, it, you just need a good vantage point of Mount Adams. Yeah. 
you don't need to be at East SETI. I mean, you can be, you should be able to be yeah, so in other there's areas. Actually, there's, there's probably some places like campsites that we can actually go to. And, sure. You know, Even on Mount Adams. Ooh, wouldn't that be trippy? Well, there's a guy, um, I want to say it's Every Air. He runs a tour company out of Portland where he's uh -huh. got like a Cessna and he'll fly you around and can look at yeah. Multnomah Falls and all that. So I talked to him, and he said he'd be willing to do loops around around Adams while that stuff was going on. Wow, that'd be cool. Yeah, and our, our mutual friend Chris, uh, he's willing to go up in the plane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's pretty excited about it. Yeah, so I'll just have to maybe locate some place that's relatively close to Mount Adams. And yeah. We'll have our, uh, we can do a combined ground zero, paranoia, yeah. skywatch camp out. You know, we we'll just need that. to find somewhere with a, that's close to that, the Washington border that has yep. a clear side of that, that side of Mount Adams. Yeah, then we can go to that Stonehenge site too. Carhenge? Oh, yeah. the, the guy that, that recreated Stonehenge exactly but he yes. forgot to put in the alignments. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. celestial alignments. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he can't win them all. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, yeah, I think that might work. I'll just have to do a little bit more research and try to hone in on a, a good spot for, for all to come. You know, there's got to be a bunch of farmers around there. Maybe we could just rent some pasture time or something. Yeah. You know, when I was a little kid, my, my parents loved going to the Alps. And uh -huh. um, my dad and my mom, they really liked the, this one part where he, and well, anyway. <clears throat> so they actually went to a farmer, and the farmer would allow people to camp out on his land. Mm -hmm. And so we would do that every summer. We'd drive to Germany, well, uh, Austria, Germany. And we'd go stay in this one place in the Lauterbrunnen Valley. But there was a there was a farmer. So maybe find a farmer who has a bunch of land who will allow us to camp on a corner of it. Yeah, we'll just say, hey, we're not a bunch of wacky New Age no. cultists. We're just... Uh, just mostly not. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're a little on the paranoid side, but, yep. you know, we're friendly and, you know, we'll clean up after ourselves oh yeah so we'd have to maybe rent a, a couple of porta potties, porta -potties yeah. and maybe they got some sort of like couple of shower type things we could use to we could rig them, them too yeah. yeah we can work it out we can figure it out but we need somebody who can see that side of adams yes who's in that area because that yeah, stuff yeah, is so high altitude. I'll start on that project tomorrow. There, we'll yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Because I can't believe he's the only game in town that's seeing this stuff. Oh, I <laughs> I'm sure there are other places within that proximity that. Hmm. Uh, it's a big area. Oh yes, it is. I yes, mean. It is. Anywhere in that area, you should see be, be able to see the stuff in the sky. It's more Mount Adams. you got to have a clearer shot at it. Yeah. I mean, I'd even be willing to go camp out on the side if there's enough people. 
Where? Mount Adams. Oh, the actual mountain yeah. itself. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just has to be, you know, there are some people that... We need some guns. What else? Yeah, physical restrictions, I'm, I'm saying, you know. I'm kidding. Yeah. No, oh, we yeah, can... gun, guns, groceries, gold and God, and girls, and yeah. Okay. You go, Ron. <laughs> you know, the 5Gs. Yeah. You might want toilet paper, too. That would be a T. The five G's and a T. It, we can work it out, brother. Although I I demand some Dr. Pepper. Oh, don't don't get me started on Dr. Pepper. I love Dr. Pepper. I know. Ugh. Good yeah, stuff. That, that stuff has a lot of caffeine and a lot of corn syrup. Let me tell you. Yep. So is all of it. Yeah, that's true. I used to drink Jolt. Jolt. Yeah. When I was a kid. You never heard of Jolt? No, I, I've heard of it, but oh, okay. I just, you know, it's sort of like, it's like, what the hell's this? Must well, have we, all, we all can't be clean living like you, Ron. Oh, no. I used to drink lots of Mountain Dew when I was younger. That's worse than Jolt. Oh, really? Uh huh. Has more caffeine. Actually, no, yeah. I think Jolt has more caffeine. It has like double the caffeine of Mountain Dew, but it's all the other crap in there. Yeah. But I love Mountain Dew. When I used to go visit my grandparents out in Liberty, Missouri, yeah, man, eat tons of tacos and drink Mountain Dew. Yeah, I gotta make my, tacos. My grandmother spoiled me. It was kind of like, so Ronnie, what do you want for dinner? I go tacos. Okay, fifth time this week. <laughs> Ronnie, what do you want for dinner? Uh, I'd like a cow. <laughs> Just give me the whole cow. Yeah, actually, there were cows right across the highway from right. where she lived. So it's just like, go over there with the yeah. go over there with the yeah. taser. Go get a cow. Boy, those were the days when you could just grab, grab a cow. Just grab, grab it. <laughs> but you know, I I do believe if if anybody is interested in going there, I do believe that Pyramid Lake should be very active. Mm -hmm. It also has like a it's. It's haunted. It's a haunted lake, and it's got a whole bunch of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah I've heard. I've heard about that. So actually, you should be. You know, because of all your journeys, all your paranoid journeys that you've been taking, mm -hmm. you should actually like put out a book or make some sort of like mini documentary. Well, I've been filming them. Good. Yeah. No, I have a. I have a little show I was putting together. I just. I've been very busy, so I haven't gotten past two episodes, but I have footage for about four more. Right on. Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, it's interesting. Somebody, I went out to an old uh, installation that was for uh, the Voice of America, and somebody actually put on a YouTube thing. They were like, oh, my dad used to work there. That's so awesome that you had it. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah. I don't think anybody's going to call in, Ron. Well, what the hell, man? Probably because uh, people are watching. What's more important than this? Weird, weird TV, some sort of, I don't know. The unidentified? People just lame on Sunday nights, you know? <sighs> Sunday nights at 10. It's That's supposed to be the hottest time ever. 
I know, but I think uh, what we should do, though, is we need to build up the anticipation. You know yes. what I'm saying? Yes. So we got to put it out there. Yes. You know, a few days earlier, and then I mean, we'll be getting calls for the full hour. You know, you know what I also want to do is uh, I want to get some um, Hollow Earth people on. Well, yeah. Speaking of Hollow Earth, uh, so. We're going to be working on a magazine, aren't we? Yes, With we are. Editor-in-chief. Yeah. And I'm the, what am I, the shaman? or the? Yes, you're the shaman. You're the vice president of shamanic... Uh, relations. Relations, yeah. Right. We're actually laying it out. Yeah, what's it called again? Lost Horizons. Okay. And we've, uh, we've started releasing... Um, old books about Atlantis, Lemuria, uh, Lost Islands, that kind of thing. We're, uh, we're actually re-releasing them on Amazon. That'll be great. Yeah, I'm I pretty excited about that, it. Yeah, well, you brought some of those books uh, to Contact in the Desert. I did. It's like, whoa, man. I didn't know you were, like, I know you were in a lot of anomalous things, but... Some of those uh, reprints were pretty damn old. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the the um, lost history of Atlantis, uh, Ignatius Donnelly. I think that's like eighteen ninety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They're they're super old, but they're good. I mean, uh, you know, if you're interested in Atlantis and Lemuria, you know, a lot. Of, there's a lot of stuff from back then that's actually pretty good. Right. So what are some of the hottest books right now at uh, Paranoia Publishing that people are interested in procuring? Well, let me look. I can tell you. Obviously, uh, we're always happy about Clyde's stuff. We are Clyde's publisher. So, you know, the various Clyde books, uh, those are always there. Right. And I really want to do a mind control one. So I, uh, as far as getting some of... Uh, Clyde's mind control shows and articles together. Yes. So we really need to do that. I mean, you need to write a book about mind control as well. Yes. Really. I do. Yeah. Because, uh, we're, we're right now at a at a stage where uh, mind control is so encompassing <laughs> on so many different levels. Whether it it's is. Uh, through the media. You know, there's mass mind control. Uh, I still think there is a form of ultra mind control going on. Sure. Uh, there's ritualistic type of mind control. And um, now I think we're at, at the uh, stage in history where electronic mind control is actually affecting every... Everyone. ...creature on the planet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, we're electric, right? So. Yeah. All you, all you have to do is kind of tweak the frequencies and whether it's uh, directed or triangulated, you know, at a group of people and you can cause behavior modification. So it's not too difficult. Absolutely. Um, okay, so here's our top sellers. The Complete Secret Cipher of the UFO Knots, uh -huh. which is an amazing book. Right. Uh, the Official CIA Manual on Interrogants and... Interrogation and Counterintelligence, the Kubark Manual. That is very interesting. 
And uh, the other top three is uh, transhuman substantiation. Oh, Clyde's book. Yeah, right. Clyde's book. About uh, AI and the singularity. Yep. Have you read the Kubark manual? I have not. No. You need to read the Kubark manual. Will it be edifying? You know, it explains how to break somebody down in interrogation. So, yeah, it'd probably be pretty interesting. Might come in handy. I'm going to try it on you. <laughs> oh, wow, man. Yeah, I'm thinking, Ron, I want to know what all your secrets are. <clears throat> well, you know, if you're going to do it, then you got to do it the right way. Okay? That's why I got the manual. Okay, so you got to make sure you, you have the right location, right? Ouch. Uh, you also have to make sure that you're filming it and you used and then uh, you have to make sure you have the right drugs yes right drugs are important well make sure that they're high quality you know because I don't want any of that tainted shit with fentanyl or whatever you know? <laughs> no, I'm gonna jack up with some crocodile yeah what's that do crocodile yeah so crocodiles is like crazy drug that came out of uh, Russia. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's for two poor people who are too poor to buy heroin. So what they oh. do is they take the heroin and they cut it with diesel fuel and ca and I kerosene. Remember. I remember that. that yeah. Was a ground Zero show. Yeah. So you inject a crocodile, and when you inject enough of it, it makes your skin uh, crocodile-like. So the word crocodile is crocodile in Russian. And yeah, basically, uh, the first time you inject it, your life expectancy from the time of injection until uh -huh. death, six months. Wow. So, and yeah. within three weeks, if you're injecting it in your arm, within yeah. three weeks, your arm basically rots off. Yeah. Isn't that interesting because... Uh, uh, Clyde did a show on that back in 2013. I remember that. Yeah, it's some bad stuff. Yeah. But apparently it's uh, getting more popular in the United States and Europe. Well, it's kind of stupid if people have a death wish or they want to look like a reptilian for a few months. Well, I mean, it's it's junky behavior, right? So I don't think they're really thinking of themselves, well, I'm going to no, die in six months. Yeah. The high is supposed to be insane. Okay. So, you know, they're... It's uh, what junkies do. They're they're chasing the high mm -hmm. at all costs. Yeah, which is sad. Yeah. I yeah. know. Yeah, that's crazy stuff. So hey, is there any uh, zombie news? Out zombie there? news. Yeah, I mean, is there any like zombie outbreaks going on or anything like that? Because you know. People are concerned about zombies, right? There's books written about zombies. Sure. There's tons of movies. Yeah. So I was just wondering, do we have any like zombie-type books? We don't have any zombie books, but I've been thinking about it. Yeah. Um, there, there were some uh, strange things that the Germans did in World War II around that. Mm -hmm. They, yeah... There, um, there's definitely some stuff they did. Well, they they made meth, right? Oh, they made a lot of stuff. So basically, they were able to keep the troops up for what several weeks or whatever. Oh yeah. 
You're what, hearing what all about, that, no doubt. And what about that, um, you know, something that really freaks me out, and I saw it on YouTube. The uh, Soviets were doing some sort of research in regard to sleep and light deprivation. And uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but right. uh, they, they tried to go inside and, and people like turned into these weird looking creatures and they were all eating each other and shit like that. <clears throat> well, there, remember there, that? There, there, yeah, there, there, yeah, there are a bunch there, of stories there are a bunch like of that. Stories um, like that. Um, you know, I mean, the, you know, the Germans in mean, World War II did some very strange They had a kind of obsession with... They're like vampires and werewolves, and so they were trying to like build vampire legions and like they were trying to figure out how to make werewolf legions. I think the one of the most interesting things that I've seen is that they had a thing called the Hexen Gruppen. Have you ever heard of the Hexen Gruppen? No, I have not. So the Hexen Gruppen effectively was the well they call them English. They call it the Witches Division. But the Hexen group, the Hexen group was, the was the witch, witch group. The witch group. Right. right. And basically, and basically um, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was uh, a group within, a group within the, the, it was not in the SS, it was in the SS, it was not in the Um But it was in the SS, in the SD, which was run by Reinhard Heydrich. And basically, it was a group, of witches. a group of witches. They had like a they military, like a military unit, of unit of witches. <laughs> it would like put hexes like on, on people. And, um, they had um, another they thing had called Operation Mars, Operation Mars uh, where, uh, where <laughs> they tried to determine tried to where, determine where uh, uh, the Allies were running their uh, transports for the U-boats using uh, using divining rods and pendulums. Right. Yeah. But they, yeah, they actually... Um, they were actively trying to figure out how to make a werewolf. Hmm. Because they were, you know, in, in German mythology, there's a lot of, you know, werewolf stuff. Right. And they were convinced they could actually make werewolves. Wow, that's trippy. Kind of reminds me of that uh, <laughs> preacher dude, Bill Schneblin. Oh, yeah, Schneblin. That, that guy was off the hook. Yeah. He uh, allegedly used to be a vampire. Yeah, he was an energy vampire at one point, I, I believe. No, but then like a literal vampire too. Like he yeah, broke... he drank blood. And he had fangs and, and drank blood and all that. Yeah. Right. I, I just really I remember him too talking about he was able to like smell people's blood, the type of blood they had too. The type of blood, yeah. Yeah, it's like. Oh, RH negative. Hmm. <laughs> you know, Schneblin, I don't know what he's up to now, but Schneblin was very, he was very big back in the 90s that he, because he was, you know, his, his whole thing was very similar to like Leo Zagami. Yes. Where he, he claimed, Zagami never claimed that he was a, a vampire or anything, but where they were very similar is that, and it makes you wonder, you know, about it, that Zagami, said that he was a he was a warlock a witch right. uh -huh. a male witch is a warlock he was a yeah. warlock in a in a illuminati coven right and that his his family was by you know generationally part of this coven and uh -huh. and schneblin said the same thing i mean the way that schneblin describes being an illuminati witch is very similar to zagami so you know they're 
and they're so far apart in time that it, you know, it, I think it, it ends adds some level of credibility. But Schnabel, right. yeah, he he uh, he yeah, he said he was a he said he was a vampire and a whole bunch of stuff. Well, yeah, but with like Bill Schnabel, since he was not a bloodliner per se, he had to no. go through what was called the It'll Seven Hills or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he had to be involved in these different religious groups in order to right. attain that level of Luciferianism <laughs> to be initiated yeah. into the Illuminati. And so, you know, he had to be uh, a Catholic, a Mormon, a right. Satanist, you know, all these do yeah, all these like different each one, things. Yeah, each one unlocked the next ring. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. something that was sort of hierarchical, you know, kind of like climbing up the pyramid, right? Get to the yeah, eye. I don't know Zagami's. I don't know Zagami's story um, well enough to know if he did something like that. But from <laughs> what I remember of Zagami's story, um, he he was uh, generationally in it. Mm-hmm. He's a very interesting dude. I, I met him. He's you know he's a very nice guy. And boy, I'll tell you that guy. He does a good presentation. Yeah, I know some people think he's just whacked out making up a bunch of stuff, but he's, he's pretty engaging, you know. I, I... He's he's very engaging, and the thing the thing that I like about him, and I think it's what drew me to conspiracy stuff in, in the general, mm-hmm. was the complexity that right. he, you know, you know, you listen to something like Gary Bell, like the, A View from Space, or mm-hmm. you listen to something like Zagami, and it and it's like it's very complicated and he, he Zagami does a very good job of, of tracing the pattern out for you the, there's a line and, and he in his presentation he'll start at point A and he'll get to point B and there's this whole trajectory that he goes through to get there and you really walk away from it going wow mm-hmm. yeah I got I got invited to a um, to a, a lecture uh, done by him in the middle of the desert that was put on by Brad Olson and uh, uh-huh. yeah, and Brad Olson like sponsored it, and I drove out there into the desert, uh, and you know it's like in the middle of the night. He's doing this like whole, you know, presentation. It was pretty crazy. I made a pie, of course, but he, you know, well there was food, yeah. but but he was yeah he was a really nice guy. He really was, and I'll tell you, it's a very very engaging uh, lecture. Schneblin. You know, um, not as engaging, <laughs> but but very rich on the on the detail. Both of them, Zagami and Schneblin, are very rich on the detail. Right. I mean, well, if they're yeah, if they're making it up, I'm not saying you know they're not or they are, but yeah. I'll tell you if, if they're making it up, there's a whole like mythos that they've created because it's very a lot of it seems to align between the two, and yeah. it's very complex. I mean, to keep that stuff in your head, if you didn't actually live it, it'd be very tricky. Yeah, well, back in 1992, I actually uh, got uh, Bill Schneblin and Fritz Springmeier and some other Christian speakers together for an event in Olympia, Washington. So, yeah, it it was, uh, it went pretty well. It was well attended, but, uh, you know. I bet. We all... You know how I feel about Springmeier. So. Yeah. But, you know, Schneblin in particular, if, if anybody ever wants to go find 
uh, Schneblin's videos, um, just search Schneblin and then like the Prophecy Club, because I think he was on the Prophecy Club like eight times. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's read- readily available. I used to correspond with yeah. that guy who was in charge of the Prophecy Club back oh, in the yeah. day when I was a good Christian man. That was the nineties. Man, yeah, that was the nineties. Those are crazy times for Ron Patton. You know, it's funny. It's um, I've always believed that that like in conspiracy theory and ufology that we have like amnesia because you look at like what was going on in the 90s for example in the conspiracy world right mm-hmm. and it's like a lot of that stuff like the Jim Keith books and and some of the other things that were written at that time you know they're very they're very um, relevant to today in fact they're probably more relevant now than they were then I mean right. obviously we didn't get taken over by the UN mm-hmm. and all the uh all the trains with the UN tanks and all that. Oh yeah. Betas, but, yeah, there was but, that guy, uh, Mark from Michigan. I remember there was this uh, yeah, Mark uh, from Michigan. VHS tape that went viral, you know, right before yep. you know, YouTube and stuff. And I actually yeah. got to meet that guy. Uh, I think his last name was Cornkey or something. Mark Cornkey. And Bo Greitz, I got to meet him. John McIlvaney, oh, yeah. he was the financial guy. Sure selling gold and silver because uh, those were the days that they had the uh, preparedness expo and I, I right. told uh, listeners before that that's actually where I met uh, uh, Vladimir Terzinski Terzinski yeah yeah I met him there yeah I wish I knew where selling you his branch of books I, I, uh, I wish that I knew where he was but I cannot find him. Yeah. I've tried. Tarzinski yeah. was very interesting. He had a whole bunch of interviews that he did with, like, Al Bielik and Grant Cameron. Yeah, and yeah they're fascinating. But well, yeah, it, just, the interesting yeah. thing, too, is I remember people uh, telling me that, oh, well, he used to work for the KGB. And then, you know, Krasinski would just laugh, you know, about that, where people thought he was still like a, a, a Soviet spy or a Russian spy or whatever. And he goes, you know what? Quite a few of us did work <laughs> for the, the KGB, but it wasn't like any hardcore clandestine thing. It was just like, okay, if you want to get your doctorate or whatever, if you want to get your education, right. you got to like, go in and listen to other professors and report back what they said you know so it was like an eavesdropping type thing but he said it wasn't anything like being some sort of secret super spy so he kind of laughs about that whole thing about uh well it's just like uh i I met this guy who used to work for the cia but he said (laughs) people would laugh you know if they really knew what he did you know basically he was just sort of like a sort of like a secretary or whatever you know well, yeah that's the thing that people stuff. people forget when you talk about the the kgb or you talk about the cia or you talk about mi6 you know there, there are people who in field operations right yeah. obviously yeah. <laughs> but at the same time there you know there are legions of just clerks you know yeah. maybe they run the evidence room or mm-hmm. you know maybe they're a guard or maybe they're you know an administrative assistant or mm-hmm. you know they deliver coffee back in the 70s or whatever 
you know, not everybody that works for the CIA, the NSA, or yeah. the FSB, the, you know, whatever, they're not all, like, code-cracking spies. And, and, you know, you may work for the CIA, but that doesn't mean you know anything about anything at all. Very true. Yep. You know, just because you, you know, there's a base level of security clearance that you have to have because things mm-hmm. go across your desk. But, yeah. you know, I'm always very leery when somebody's like, oh, yeah, I was in the CIA. It's like, okay, well, yeah. what did you do in the CIA? Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, it's just like you, when people, when people say that, oh, yeah, Ron Patton, you got to watch out for him because he's MK Ultra. So it's like, wow. And I don't even I remember that. Well, I mean, that's what they do, right? They create an amnesia block so you don't remember. But it, it's always interesting where people will start a rumor like, oh, yeah, Ron Patton. How does he know so many mind control survivors? He must be MK Ultra. So, yeah, I always find that. You know, you know, one thing I've always enjoyed doing on the podcast is, like, lifting the veil uh-huh. of the conspiracy, you know, the conspiracy industry. Yes. And and it's it's like, you know... If you want to see UFOs, right, you have to go where people see UFOs. You don't just walk outside and see a UFO, mm-hmm. right? You have to go where there are a lot of sightings. You know, if you want to see a ghost, you have to go to a haunted house. Right. If you want to talk to an MK Ultra survivor, you have to put yourself out there and say, hey, I want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not, it's not, you know, what it really is, like being in... in conspiracies and whatever being a quote unquote conspiracy nut or geek or whatever nerd whatever you want to call it you know it's really a process of chasing stuff you it's not a passive thing like you you know you get something up in your head like for you it's mk ultra you know for me you know i'm split between lemuria and the secret space program and just you know just conspiracy stuff in general Mm-hmm. And it's like, once you get it up in your head, then you chase it because you're trying to get the answer. The answer is always elusive. You can never get, you never actually get the answer that you mm-hmm. want, you know, yes. but you're chasing it. You spend your whole life like chasing it. You know, you're looking through these, these documents that are FOIA that are like 99% redacted. It's like an entire page that's redacted except right. for the word the. Mm-hmm. And based on that, you're trying to piece it together, you know, and it's like, you know, it, it's a fool's errand, but you become obsessed with it and you just seek it, seek it, seek it. You right. Know, it's, it's not like you had to be an MK Ultra to find an MK Ultra survivor. If yeah. you put yourself out there, they'll find you. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I did, you know, so it was like one thing that led to another and, you know, it was like I was involved with uh, helping Fritz Springmeier do some research and helped him out with some mailing and through that that opened up a whole lot of stuff for me and I met a lot more people and then once I realized that Springmeier wasn't a good guy then I just parted ways and started doing my own research you know yeah I mean for me you know I've talked about it before I saw something and I, I had to understand what it was. And in chasing that, trying to understand what I witnessed that night, you know, it, it led to me reading a ton of books because that's just what I do. 
mm-hmm. and then eventually it was like well if I saw it once I should be able to see it again and then going and seeking it out and it's it's not like you know you sit on Facebook and say well I want to see UFO mm-hmm. and you post that and then suddenly UFO descends on your house yeah the other the other thing that it requires is a really good memory because as you're trolling through this stuff you know you'll come across because it's like a needle on a haystack right you'll come across another bit and you have to be able to remember where you last saw that bit for it to make sense mm-hmm. that's very true yeah and it's like if you want to see a ufo if you you know go chase it down mm-hmm. i mean there's matthew alford he you know, he wrote a book called A Writer With No Hands, and they made a documentary about it. You know, if you want to see what it's really like, watch The Writer With No Hands. I think it's on Amazon. <laughs> we got to get that guy on, because he has a, he did his dissertation on propaganda, on propaganda. He's yeah. like an international expert on propaganda. But Alford, you know, they filmed, him and his friend filmed him trying to figure out what happened to this guy. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, it's, a lot of it is very mundane mm-hmm. until until it's not. Then one day he got close, and then he pulled the plug on it. Mm-hmm. You know, interesting. Or there's there's a there's a great documentary I love um, called The Buzzer that that is on Amazon. It's called The Buzzer. It's about UVB seventy six, and it, it's a bit of an art film. The guy who made it. You know, he teaches art in um, in uh, the Ukraine. But he, you know, he started out just trying to understand what UVB-76 was, like what it literally did, mm-hmm. because he was from Chernobyl, and Chernobyl is next door to UVB-76, the towers. Mm-hmm. And in the process of just trying to understand what happened to Chernobyl and what UVB-76 was, you know, they seem like dis- disparate things. You've got this weird, like, buzzer transmitter thing, and then you've got a melting-down nuclear reactor, right? Right. But one day, he talks to the wrong guy. And the wrong guy is like, there's a tie between the Chernobyl meltdown and UVB-76. Hmm. And then that then he started to pursue that. Well, what was the tie-in? Well, why, why didn't Chernobyl melt down, you know? Mm-hmm. And he figures it out. The problem is, is that at the end of the film, um, he, the guy who was the cinematographer, who was his friend, he says, "Come over right now." And he's like, "Well, why?" He's like, "You just need to come over right now." And so the guy comes over, and he, <clears throat> he says, "No cameras, no cameras." So of course his friend sneaks a camera into film, right? Mm-hmm. And so he walks in and he says, "Oh, excuse me, while I remove the teacup." from the KGB colonel that just visited me and told me to drop it. And so he dropped it like a hot potato and then he took off, got his family out of the country Mm -hmm. and then he came back and he was like, no, I'm not going to be silenced, whatever. And so he went to the Euro Maiden uh, protests where they were throwing out Yanukovych and they're protesting you know, in that square and the and he's speaking and, and talking about Chernobyl was a setup. And the last part of the film is that he had left and his buddy had stayed behind just to get footage. And 
they actually show the footage where he's standing next to another guy and he's filming the um, the military uh, anti or the military riot control guys and you see this guy pull out a pull out a sniper rifle and he fires and when he fired he missed and hit the guy next to the cinematographer and killed him and then the, and then the cinematographer guy didn't realize it because he's focused on the camera the guy fires again and hits him in the shoulder and at the end of the documentary it's basically him in the hospital having been shot by one of the riot control guys hmm. I mean but it but it's like you watch it <coughs> you watch it and you, you kind of understand it's like Alford's thing with the, the writer with no hands you watch it and you start to understand what the process is really like mm -hmm. it's like you you get something in your head and you want to know more so you go dig and dig and dig and somewhere in that process you meet a guy and that guy tells you something and that that connects a dot and then that makes you talk to another guy and yeah. another guy and another guy and another guy you know but yeah and that's, that's really exactly it, it that's exactly what happened to me but the reality yeah. is I really didn't uh, think about pursuing that type of topic, you know, right. I was just curious about it and just one thing led to another. You know, I was curious about like satanic ritual abuse. I wanted to see if that was true or not and mind control right. and those two topics are actually tied in pretty close together and so it just opened up a whole new world to me and I really wasn't prepared for it but uh, um, no, it was you never obviously are. it was it was ready for me but I wasn't ready for it let's put it that way you're, but I mean I, you're, I was you're, able to adjust you know what I'm I made the adjustments mm -hmm. I kind of took a back seat for a while but then it was like okay I, I have to rethink how I'm going to really um, spend my time yeah because right. it was like I was just talking to so many survivors or alleged survivors right, right? and um, it was just draining me and plus the fact oh, that yeah. you know being under surveillance having a family at the time uh, yeah there was a lot of crazy stuff going on but it was it was at the same time it was it was tantalizing it was exciting because I knew it was real but at the same right. time I had to uh, think about my family's well-being. So, well, that's, yeah. I mean, that's me in Alternative 3. You know, one day I got like a 20th generation copy of Alternative 3 and I watched it. And the first thing that, that popped into my head is, oh, this is BS. Because I recognize some of the actors, especially Shane Rimmer. Shane Rimmer was in a bunch of science fiction movies and other movies um, in the UK in the 70s. You know, he was in UFO and, and a bunch of the Thunderbirds are Go and a bunch of stuff. And so I just kind of dismissed it. And then, then I, I don't know, I, I saw it again. I, saw, I bumped into the cassette tape and I popped it in my VHS player and I watched it again. And I was like, wait a minute. You know, this is too, this is too specific. You know, although you watch science fiction movies and, you know, they'll they'll make something up or they'll be specific about this or that or this or that mm -hmm. you know it's uh, you know it's it's inevitable that this stuff is BS well 
this seemed too mundane for that. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I, I kept at it, and, and I watched it, and I watched it again and again and again. And I started taking notes of, like, the different specific things they talked about. And I'm reading, oh, you know, this is supposedly real and all this stuff. And I said to myself, you know, if this is actually real, then these things that they're talking about had to have happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, and I think the whole process took me over 10 years. To see to how things kind of came together. Yeah, and I mean, I even contacted, um, which was very painful. Uh, I contacted the guy who actually directed it, Christopher Mile, and and I finally got through his publicist to him, and I said, you know, I'm only, I'm not here to to pass judgment of whether you were paid off or whatever, which everybody bugs him about. I said, you know, I really only want to know one thing. I said, it's it's people contend that the last three minutes of that thing is real mm-hmm. and I want to know how you shot it I just want to know how you shot it I'm not interested in all the rest of it I just want to know how you shot the end mm-hmm. and so he explained it to me like step by step how how they actually filmed the ending of Alternative 3 and I said okay that's it thank you and then I went out and I, I talked to a guy that I knew at the time Mm-hmm. who did practical effects and I said and I showed him the end of the movie and the little thing that moves around in the in the dirt on Mars and I explained to him what Christopher Miles had told me I actually showed him the email and my friend said that's not possible hmm. and I think at that moment at that moment I was like okay I think I really figured something out here mm-hmm. then I wrote the book but it's it's a process of discovery. It's right. it's a painful process of discovery. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes yeah. and there's uh, no money. Right. Well, and it also sometimes it might go against your preconceived notions or ideas sure. of how things it usually are. does. Yeah. So you have to kind of humble yourself to to an extent and accept the fact that you know you're gonna probably change your mind about certain things in life. So oh, yeah. the whole you, conspiracy yeah, type thing, uh, that's, that's been quite a dynamic evolution in my life as it has yours. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a great journey. Well, Ron, <coughs> I think we've come to the end of our illustrious podcast. Nobody called in. I'm very disappointed. Yeah, we but just got okay. to give that number out, you know, and, and just... Yeah, we do. Like... Maybe have people like if you wanna if you wanna call, send you know six dollars and sixty six cents to Patreon and you know because we got to show value, a certain amount of value yeah. for people to call. So yeah, sure. I'm sure. <laughs> okay, maybe not. But anyway, yeah, it was it was fun just you and I going at it, mm-hmm. talking about what's going on in the news, and so hopefully. We won't be falling into the ocean with all the earthquakes and no. volcanic. Although I'm worried about it. Asteroids hitting the ocean. That that USGS seismologist, she was very specific. Yeah. She said this is a this is a sequence. Yeah. You know, and she said at the time on th- on uh, Friday, mm-hmm. yeah, on Friday when they had the seven one, she said, you know. 
there is a chance that they'll have a bigger one. Yep. But who knows? Mm. I'm I'm more worried about having a bunch of seven ones that that start tripping all the other fault lines in California. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. That's another show. Yes. <laughs> so just uh, stock up on shit. Make sure you have lots of water. Make sure you Twinkies. got a backpack. Lots of Twinkies. Have a backpack. Go back. a survival backpack. You know, so you can just have the stuff all ready to go. I mean, you know. So ba- it's just basically, basically, you need what's called a grab and go bag. Mm-hmm. You need enough. You need enough emergency supplies for um, at a minimum three days for every person that's in your uh, in your party. Yeah, and then you just keep it in a backpack with a fire starter, a knife, you know, a compass, uh, mirrors, blankets, you know, like space blankets, whatever, and you just keep it ready. Yeah, I live in earthquake country. I have a grab-and-go bag. Right. Of course, mine has an axe and wire cutters and... Yeah, a little extra. cutters. And, yeah. Of course. Anyway, <laughs> ammunition. Anyway, um, thank you very much for joining us on yet another uh, Paranoia podcast. We... Uh, enjoyed having you along and uh we're going to try to be broadcasting these at 10 p.m pacific um we'll do it live and then uh, we'll take the recording and upload it into fringe so you'll hear it on fringe fm as well and we have uh, the podcast the podcast is on itunes it's on TuneIn, it's on stitcher it's on alexa alexa play the paranoia podcast and we'll get the latest one um you can find us at paranoiamagazine.com uh, we're Paranoia Magazine on Facebook, Paranoia Mags on Instagram. Come and find us. We're nice guys. Send us messages. We'll send you messages back. Uh, we're always interested in talking to people who are interested in our magazine or the show. Ron finished editing the magazine so we can get it out. Right Ron. On. And take good care thing. and keep the faith. All right, everybody. Be excellent to one another. Thank you for listening to Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Sponsored by Paranoia Magazine. Read it now. Paranoiamagazine.com Intro theme, The Guide, was composed by Scott Moon. ScottMoon.net Outro theme, Fighting Trousers, is by Professor Elemental. ProfessorElemental.com Voiceover written and performed by Mr. Lobo, host of Cinema Insomnia. Watch new episodes on OSI 74. Visit us at OSI74.com We are resuming control. For now.